2: You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. What happens to a child who grows up with virtually no contact with other human beings? No parenting, no love, no affection, no touching. Nearly everything we learn about being human, how to speak, how to walk, everything comes from the people who raise us. And today, we're going to look at what happens when nobody does. Experts say that we can learn a lot about our own humanity by studying children who have been robbed of theirs. This emaciated boy from Honduras named Jason weighed only 15 pounds. Even though he looks like a two-year-old, he is nine. Confined to a small dark room for years, he never learned to speak or walk. He was severely malnourished. Rescued in March, Jason is gaining weight and is now learning to crawl. In 1997, in Austin, Texas, authorities discovered a nine-year-old girl living in squalor, seemingly in isolation from the outside world in this rat-infested house. Her name was Victoria. She could not speak or even make eye contact. She hated wearing clothes, feared cars, doorways, and toilets, which she didn't know how to use. According to reports, Victoria's mother loved her but lacked the ability to properly care for her. Taken in by caring foster parents, Victoria has made progress. She has learned to use the bathroom, dress herself, and can communicate using simple sign language. She even attended school with children her own age. This is Oksana Malaya from Ukraine, often referred to as a feral child. According to Oksana, she was thrown out of the house by her parents when she was just three years old. She sought refuge in the family's dog kennel. Reportedly, she ate, slept, and lived with dogs for five years. She was rescued in 1991 when she was eight years old. Oksana was unable to speak and had taken on some animal characteristics. Today, she lives at a home for the mentally ill. She can speak simple sentences but says she's happiest when she acts like a dog.
4: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
0: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in
5: there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak.
4: Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime you don't have to hide how you feel.
1: Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m. at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New Miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient rich, high quality ingredients. Miracle Grow is simply the best.
2: Dr. Bruce Perry is a world renowned child psychiatrist and trauma expert. He also authored one of the foremost books on extreme child abuse called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. So we're here today to talk about what can we all learn from extreme examples of child neglect. Welcome, Bruce, my friend. Thank you very much. Yeah.
4: Thank you. So what can we learn from? I think the most important thing about these extreme examples is that they're just the, the tip of the iceberg of a much broader problem of neglect that our country and really the rest of the world's experiencing with their children. They, you know, most people don't realize this, but. There are twice as many neglected children in the United States as there are physically and sexually abused combined. Really? Yeah, 500,000 children at least a year are neglected. And these problems are very often difficult to observe. So it's, it's a, like a silent epidemic. And, you know, the, the term neglect kind of has different meaning for different people. But from a biological perspective, from a functional perspective for the developing child, Neglect is the absence of necessary stimulation required to build a certain part of the brain so that it can function normally.
2: And so what we now know is that if you don't get enough stimulation early on in early development, that your brain
4: forms differently. Exactly. And and that changes all kinds of functions, including the ability to form and maintain relationships.
2: So the St. Petersburg Times broke a story that got attention around the world. This story was about a little girl no one even knew existed. Neighbors were aware of a woman, her boyfriend, and her two sons living in a house on their street. And then one day, a neighbor reported this, saying, a little girl, pale, with dark eyes, lifted a dirty blanket and peered out of a broken window. Police rescued this little girl, Danielle, from her mother's run-down rental home. And the detective who found her took us back to the scene where he discovered Danielle.
6: My name is Detective Holsty I work for the Plant City Police Department. On July 13, 2005, we came to this address. Myself, my partner came to the house. This is the house right here. This is the front door that we walked in. I knocked on the door and a female came to the door and opened the door and asked me what I wanted. You know, I told her that we were here because of a, a phone call about a young female child that lived in the house that was possibly the victim of some type of neglect. This is the first time that I've been back in the house and the house is abandoned now. There was animal feces on the floor, there was chewed up food everywhere, there was trash everywhere, there cigarette butts laying everywhere, and there were spider webs hanging from the ceiling. There were thousands and thousands of cockroaches. This is actually Daniel's bedroom right here. When I walked in the room, her eyes were, were open very, very wide when she saw me, and her mouth dropped open, and she did the little crab walk into the corner and tucked her knees up to her and wrapped her hands around her knees and made, started making grunting noises. Her bed sat. It was a box spring and a mattress. They were moldy, they were wet, damp, they were rotting to the point to where springs were sticking through the mattress. As I picked her up, I kind of cradled her head and I looked and you could see insect activity in her hair. There were, you know, there were fleas, there was nits, lice all in her hair. I noticed she had insect bites from the top of her head to the tips of her toes. The only thing she was wearing was a diaper which had been soiled for quite some time. And she weighed nothing. Her cheeks were sunken in. She was terrified to be picked up. She couldn't or wouldn't talk to me. Brought her out to this area here where the mother was in the living room. I said, how could this happen? How could you let this happen? And she said, I'm doing the very best I can. I told her, your best is not good enough.
2: So that little girl was removed from the home and taken immediately to an emergency room.
3: Danielle was brought to me through the child protective team because there was a concern of possible medical neglect. Danielle was six years, nine months, but her behavior, some of her language skills were that of an infant, probably in the six-month range. She wasn't able to feed herself, but she would feed from a bottle. Danielle was malnourished and she was dirty and had several insect bites. But to me, what was most profound about Danielle was her reaction to to human beings. She wouldn't make eye contact. She frequently pushed us away, kicked us away, would snarl at us, frankly. She behaved like an injured animal. We realized the safest place would be one of the caged cribs, large cribs. Tracy
2: Sheehan is a circuit judge in Florida. Judge Sheehan was Danielle's attorney ad litem. That is a court terminology for her voice in court. She met Danielle for the first time three weeks after she left the hospital. You told, uh, Judge Sheehan, you told our producers that you've never seen anything like Danielle's case.
1: Absolutely not, and, and, and I dare say most of us have not. Uh, Although I instantly thought of that movie, Nell, uh, where Jodie Foster uh, was being raised like a wild animal out in the woods, Uh uh, this child was literally uh, a wild animal. I recall seeing this child just wandering aimlessly with her hands up in the air and uh, staring at the sky, all sorts of uh, stimulation around her, and she was just oblivious to it. It was really uh, mind-boggling that a child was so devoid Uh, of social skills. Uh, She couldn't grab her sippy cup. She couldn't do positive, negative reinforcement regarding uh, potty training and uh, eating a cookie for reinforcement. It was just the saddest thing uh, that this child, at, at age seven, practically, was being raised like a potted plant, literally. So we have documents that show DCFS received previous
2: complaints about Danielle's mother and had made two visits to this home three years prior but DCFS rated the risk to this little girl as low. They said the risk to her was low and left her in her mother's care both times.
1: Judge uh, Sheehan, why do you think they did that? They didn't take this child out of the house. I recall the reports that the allegation was that this mother was off drinking at the VFW with her boyfriend and leaving the child, who at that time was about four home with her older brothers who were late teens and and, uh, were uh, reportedly slow and and low-functioning. So the report was that she was being left with inappropriate caretakers. And uh, yes, indeed, the Department of Children and Families, our social service agency, uh, responded to the home. And the reports indicated that uh, the child was sleeping on one occasion and they didn't get her up and speak to her and put themselves in a position to assess her developmental skills. So had they you know, assess the situation better, surely uh, they would have had uh, reasons for concern. At that time, the mother was not receptive to services. They offered a, a daycare referral, encouraged her to put the child in daycare. Uh, she refused. She later testified at trial. She didn't think she needed any services. She was doing the best she could. And of course, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Had we uh, known what we know now, uh, we would have removed her. Well,
2: we called DCFS and asked them why Danielle hadn't been removed from the home sooner, and and they said this. They said, it is sad to realize the Department of Children and Families was in a position to help her, help Danielle, years before her suffering became widely known. We understand that speaking to Danielle during the first investigation would have allowed us more insight into the environment she was forced to endure. We've worked tirelessly to improve our child protective system. We are grateful to the Leroy family for opening their hearts and their home to Danielle. That is what they say. It's another child that fell through the system, basically.
1: Unfortunately.
2: Yes. Thank you for talking to us, Judge. Absolutely. So, in your opinion, how
4: severely was she neglected? Well, she was very severely neglected, and that's a, that's, that's a form of neglect that we would call total global neglect. This impacted every part of her brain. We're, we're, there's not a so when, when a you're left
2: s- in that in that space and you're six years old. Because aren't we, aren't we developed by the time we're six? You are who you're going to be at six for Pretty the most much. part. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. You all realize that, right? You're the same person you were at six years old. You just know a few more things. <laughs> but if you go back, check your personality. Yeah, mine, same thing.
4: And, it, and that's very true. And it's because the, the major architecture of the brain develops really in those first four, four five, six years of life. So the majority of synaptic connections you have in your brain were present when you were six years old. Yeah. The majority of neurons in your brain were present when you were six years old. And, and the way you solve problems today is the way you solve problems when you were six. Your yeah. world view is from when you were young.
2: Yeah. It's worked out for me older because at six I was
4: a busybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You found the right niche. Yeah, I found the right
2: (laughs) niche. Yeah, I was talking all the time at six. Danielle's biological mother is a 51-year-old single mom with two sons in their 20s. After Danielle was taken out of their home, her mother was arrested and gave this interview to a reporter. They accused me of uh, making her autistic, environmental.
5: And that's a crock. You cannot make a child autistic. You cannot make a child retarded. They just made me sound like I was some kind of a monster and I'm not a monster. I love my baby. Only thing I was guilty of was the dirty house and it cost me my child. I love that baby. She's my life.
2: Can neglect cause mental retardation?
4: Oh, a- absolutely. I mean that's that's the absolutely predictable that if you don't talk to a child, you don't interact with a child cognitively, you'll end up with very 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 low IQ.
2: Lane DeGregory is the reporter from the St. Petersburg Times who broke the story. She's Skyping us from a newsroom in Florida. Lane, you interviewed Danny's mother. What did you think of uh, her and what she had to say?
7: Well, I wasn't sure what to think of her. In the six months we reported the story, every single person we talked to along the way said, what kind of a mother could do this to her child? What kind of a person could do this to a child? And I've got two little boys myself who are about the same age as Danielle, and I just was Wondering the same thing myself. What kind of a mother would so completely neglect their child to cause that kind of a damage? So we went to interview her to try to find out. And? We were actually kind of surprised. She didn't think she'd done anything wrong. Uh, Despite all the evidence from the doctors and the detectives and the social workers, she just kept saying that she took care of Danielle the best she could. Danielle ate out of a baby bottle. She was hungry all the time. She was only skinny because her mother herself had been skinny when she was young, and there was nothing wrong with her.
2: And so, I don't know, uh, I know you're not a psychologist,
7: but did you think that she was mentally unstable? She seemed functioning, but she seemed very much in denial of any responsibility. She didn't take any responsibility for her actions. She felt a victim herself of bad luck, of the system, of uh, police uh, not talking to her. But when I asked her herself if she had anything to regret, what do you regret after three years? She said, I regret moving to Florida that was it. There was nothing about what had happened to her daughter or the condition that her daughter was in. Her only regret was moving here.
2: So Judge Sheehan, where is the mother now? What happened? Was she
1: convicted? She was. Finally, after eight months after this child was located, uh, she was arrested. She spent about 26 hours in jail, was released, and vigorously fought against the criminal charges. Ultimately, she ended up entering a uh, plea to uh, child neglect. In uh, the juvenile court arena, uh, the judge terminated her parental rights. The state gave her a deal to put her on two years of house arrest, followed by three years probation. And actually, uh, as we sit here today, she has uh, been awarded for her uh, completion of house arrest and is uh, rolled over to her probation sentence. Okay.
2: We asked Danielle's biological mother for a statement through her attorney. Her attorney has not returned our calls.
8: My name is Garrett White and I was Danielle's caseworker from the time she was removed from her mother almost all the way through to the time she was adopted. I'd like to think that I did everything to keep Danielle's case from falling through the cracks. Why I felt so strongly about taking the case is that I, I wanted her to know that she wasn't alone and I wasn't going to allow her to be alone. It was very important for me to find a family for Danielle that would be a forever family, a family that was going to be there for her no matter what. We took a, a photograph of her to put in something called the Heart Gallery, which uh, is, is to promote all the kids who need families. It, w- it was going to be hard work to, to adopt a nine-year-old who was wearing diapers, who was drinking out of a bottle, who couldn't speak. And and it was going to take a very special family.
2: I see some of you already shaking your heads because you're thinking, who would want to take that on? Well, this family did. That special family turned out to be Bernie and Diane Leroux, who adopted Danielle. Now, listen to this. First of all, uh, they also have a 10-year-old son, uh, William, who I just met uh, in the green room. And five other kids, right? Four, four others. Four so you, others. So Danielle makes run. six for you. Right. Yeah. And how, how did you come to adopt her? We
0: went to an event uh, put on by the Heart Gallery where they had probably over 100 children available for adoption there that we got to meet. It was an all-day event. The children were playing games and they had pizza and ice cream and all sorts of things. And we got to interact with all of the children and... They had a board with the children who weren't able to attend the event. They had their pictures up on the board. And I just kept being drawn back to one one photo, even though there were all these children running around having a great time that I could meet in person.
2: And I heard that you, when you, the first time you saw her, you knew it was, you said that she was your daughter. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I knew it right from the beginning. Yeah.
2: So you have all boys and this one girl.
5: This is, that's my baby.
2: So what was it about the connection, Bernie, when you saw her for the first time?
5: We met her in the, the classroom first time. And the teachers, uh, the social worker, Diane, were talking about the situation. And she was just sitting in a swing, so I figured I, I would go ahead and play with her a little bit. And no one had ever interacted with her, and she just went ahead and interacted with me, no problem. Just out of the blue.
2: Well, it wasn't until Bernie and Diane brought Danielle home for good that they realized how underdeveloped she really was. Listen as they recount some of those early days.
0: When Danielle first came to live with us, she was a couple months from being 8 years old. Developmentally, she was anywhere between 6 months to maybe 18 to 24 months depending on the the skill that was being evaluated. She didn't like walking and she loved being carried. Her tongue stuck out. She couldn't hold it in her mouth. Her mouth hung open and she drooled constantly. When she first came, if she would hurt herself, fall and scrape her knee or run into something, there would be that blank look on her face and nobody would be home and she wouldn't react. She didn't feel the pain because she knew where to go in her mind to not feel anything.
5: She would have the tantrums seven or eight times a day. She would
0: scream at the top of her lungs. She would stomp, she would flail her arms, she would throw herself on the floor. They were pretty spectacular. <laughs> Let's feed yourself, Danny. When Danielle first came, food was a constant concern of hers. She was thinking about it all the time, food and something to drink. She would overeat as long as there was food out. She would eat it until she threw up. She would drink until she threw up. She didn't know when to quit because she didn't know when she would see it again. She she rocked a lot. Most of the time she rocked whenever she was involved in an activity other than running around. It was almost a violent rocking of her whole body. Danielle? Danny? She has lots of things to do. Hey, Danny, look at mom. There are lots of people who love her. And she's trying to learn about her world.
2: Do you think she remembers what her life was like before?
0: Yes, I do, because when she first came, she would have nightmares. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: About every hour or two, she would
2: wake up screaming. What is this done? I just met Danielle in the the, uh, green room. I stopped in to say hello to her. Danielle, and I you? met your your 10-year-old son, you? William. What has this done to... Because William is the only other son, child living at home? Yes. Yeah. And how has this affected him?
0: Well, in in some ways, he, he really loves it because there's always someone else around. There's somebody to play with. There's mm-hmm. somebody to share things but with. But I'm sure this
2: demands a lot of attention. But
0: there's a lot less attention for him. Mm-hmm. He was almost like an only child because the older ones were all grown and moved away, mm-hmm. so... He was living as an only child and getting undivided attention all the time. And now he does share his attention, but he's been wonderful about not begrudging her any of the attention.
2: Because it's unusual for kids, some kids even want you to adopt another child into the home because they feel like, I'm not going to get the attention I used to have. And what kind of conversation do you have with a 10-year-old about bringing a child that we're bringing home this girl who, you're, who's going to be your sister who has all of these needs.
0: Well, when we went to meet Danielle the first time, mm-hmm. we went alone because mm-hmm. we didn't know for sure if we would be bringing her home or mm-hmm. if we would continue the pursuit to adopt her. But all of the visits afterwards, we included William because he needed to know what we were discussing and who we were discussing and see his reaction to her and how he felt about it. He was taken aback at first and a a little afraid of her at first, Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. but
0: they just connected. They they work out great. Yeah, and
2: I was just in the green room, and your other son, Ryan, is in there. And so all the children have, even the children who've moved away from home, sort of have embraced this idea. Mm -hmm. Did you have a conversation with all of them about this? Yeah. We did. Yeah. We did. Did you feel compelled to do this? Were you going to adopt another?
5: And then she brought it up first, and I was just like, well, you know, we've got five, (laughs) so, you know. (laughs) And we're we're at that age. Yeah. We're at that age now where, you know, it's... Yeah. Almost got him out of the house. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, she just kept on pushing on it, and I said, okay, well, let's do it. So we ran with it.
0: I just have felt for a long time, even before I met Bernie, that this was something I was supposed to do.
2: Mm-hmm. I that you were supposed to adopt? Uh-huh. Yeah.
4: Bruce, this is a lot, right? Uh, it is a lot. And, and thank God there are people like this who will take these children. I, I mean, being a parent of five myself, it's incredibly difficult uh, to raise kids. And I have to say, I, I really just take my hat off to people that are willing to do this. And they've done a remarkable job with
2: them. Yeah. Because, as I was saying, when I just met Danielle in, in the green room, Obviously, I didn't know what I was doing. I just walked in to say hi, and she doesn't immediately, she doesn't focus attention on you Im- immediately. So it takes time. It takes time, right? Yeah. Well, Dr. Kathy Armstrong was the first psychologist to evaluate Danielle. She joins us from her office in Tampa, Florida. What was your assessment of Danielle when you first met her?
7: Uh, when I first met her, she didn't respond to any of the things that, that typical you know, young children respond to, like music or bubbles or soothing or tickling. Mm. Um, if You'd look in those big, beautiful brown eyes and they were vacant. From my assessment, she was functioning about like a two-month-old child.
2: Wow. And how is she functioning now? How would you assess where she is now? About like a two-year-old. About a two-year-old.
0: It, it, in different it areas, it varies. In some ways, she's still like a real young child, less than a year old, and in some ways, maybe all the way up to 36 months. Just different Can skills. she speak? She's at different levels. She We're has spoken through. a few words, but if she says something, yeah, you don't know if you'll ever hear it again. She's said things, and then we've not ever heard those words again. They're in there somewhere, but it's as if her brain can't connect to where she stored them because it's not been developed properly. Do
2: you think, Dr. Armstrong, she
7: was born with this mental disability? We'll never know, because her mother never took her to a doctor from the time she was born. Um, what we do know is that extensive medical tests were run on her, including scans of her brains and genetics and you know other kinds of tests, and nothing was found, nothing that could account for the retardation that she has. Yeah.
2: Child psychiatrist Dr. Bruce Perry was one of the first people to use MRI technology to look at the impact that inadequate nurturing and touch, or lack of touch, can have on the brain of a small child. This is a comparison
4: of a scan from a normal, healthy three-year-old child and a child who was severely neglected in the first three years of life. He was found in a basement in the dark. He was moaning and rocking himself. First thing is that the brain is a little bit smaller. The brains of really severely neglected children tend to be smaller than the brains of uh, children who have not been neglected. The brain didn't grow and shrink, it just didn't grow. There's more dark spaces, big, big ventricular spaces, which will impact sleep, uh, regulation of anxiety, regulation of mood, you know, whether or not you're very happy or sad. This is a comparison of a healthy three-year-old with a child who was raised in an Eastern European orphanage where there were 45, 50 cribs in a room and there was one caregiver per shift. Huge spaces in between the parts of the cortex that indicate underdevelopment of the brain. As you grow, the brain is essentially like this, uh, is like a sponge. It's absorbing all kinds of experiences. And so if a child is not held, touched, talked to, interacted with, loved, literally neurons do not make those connections. And many of them actually will die. Wow.
2: So that's helpful to know for, for early childhood development, for just anybody who's having a child. The children oh. need stimulation. And if you're not giving stimulation, your parents not giving you stimulation at an early age can make you not develop well.
4: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I think that the, the most important thing for parents out there, is to understand that they're so remarkably powerful using these simple things, eye contact, touch, rocking, And
2: talking, humming, talking to your talking,
4: husband. All of these things provide patterned repetitive stimulation that goes up into the brain and literally is nutritional. It, it makes neurons grow, it makes them make connections, and then it makes the brain more functional.
2: So what kinds of things do you do and say with Danielle now to stimulate her?
0: When Danielle k- first came, she craved being picked up. She wanted to be carried everywhere. Like a baby. Like a baby. She wo- she would climb me to be held and picked up and carried. And so we did. And people would tell us, that looks ridiculous. She's way too big. She's too heavy. You're going to hurt yourself. You can't lift her. You shouldn't do that. But she just needed it so much that we did it, no yeah. matter how stupid yeah. we looked.
2: Craved, craved
0: it. She craved, said, it.
2: craved it. Craved it. In the year and a half that Danielle has lived with Bernie and Diane and William, they say that she's come a long way.
0: The potty training
2: challenges
0: were, it was tough. Danny, you got to go potty? You didn't go when we came home from church. Come on, let's go potty and then we'll come back and finish. Once it became a lot more work to not use the bathroom, she sort of gave in (laughs) and used the bathroom correctly for us. You need to slow down, honey. For her to be able to actually fork her own food off of her plate and, and eat it, it, it took quite a while. You have too much in there, huh? That's you wait. wait a minute. You got a big mouthful. Gradually, she got to the point where, at home at least, she doesn't overeat. The only thing she doesn't like now is she doesn't like to have her hair brushed or combed whatsoever. She rarely has a temper tantrum. It's a baby. She smiles and it's a baby. laughs, and Little just seems happy. really happy and content. But I worry there's a lot of things she still doesn't comprehend. Uh, you want a drink? Is that what you're tapping for? OK, what do you do with your other hand? Want one hand? You need two. Remember, you've got two hands. Where do you put the other one? There you go. She We're either taps the before. cup on the counter uh, or taps it on this head. to get my attention. That's her way of asking for a drink. The <laughs> Swim! She likes to do flips and somersaults underwater. She has a lot of sensory-seeking behaviors. And she likes to go down to the bottom of the pool and feel the deep pressure of the water on her.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What
7: is she doing right now, Bernie? What does this mean?
5: Uh, Just kind of going into herself a little bit.
7: And what does this mean when she's going into herself? Why does she do
5: that? Uh, Mostly because it's, it's a way to hide from reality.
0: If they had removed her from the home when she was two, she would be a totally different person today. It's still sad, because I know she should be so much further along, but she's happy. She's not scared. She's not worried when she's safe.
2: The Leros have done an amazing job of stimulating and bringing Danielle into the fold in such a way that she becomes assimilated into this family. Exactly. Yeah.
4: And you know, one of the things that they've done intuitively that's quite remarkable is that they actually were willing to treat her and provide the sensory stimulation and the experiences and the, and the type of nurturing that you would normally give an infant to a much older child. And yeah. usually, when that happens, people say, you're spoiling the child. Don't do that. She's too big to carry. You're going to make it worse. But the fact is, that's exactly what, what she needed.
2: Is she craving that because she really does have sort of the mind of an infant and she missed that, and so that instinctually or primally, that that's what she's trying to get to?
4: That's a, I mean, I think that's exactly right. There, there's this pull f- towards normal development. Mm-hmm. But the reality is here's a, she's a 10-year-old girl mm-hmm. with a 1-year-old brain. That's what we're dealing with. And, when,
2: and, and as they continue to progress with her, will she be able to
4: function in the world? How far can she go? Well, we don't know how far she can go. But we've been working with children like this for many years. And in, many years ago, we were very pessimistic about the outcomes of children like this. But now, since we've started to look at this in a very developmental way and provide uh, these kinds of replacement experiences in the sequence that the brain normally develops, we've seen that children who were essentially going to be institutionalized literally go to college. Wow. And so we're, we're much more optimistic than we used to be. And I have every expectation that with help, uh, they're going to be able to really help Danielle recapture elements of her potential.
2: But obviously it didn't matter to you how far she could go. You just wanted to provide a safe environment for her. You wanted to give her a family, and because you didn't know when you took her in. No, we how didn't far know how to... far
0: she would be able to go, and we still don't. But I could see that there was a potential there. I could see somebody in her eyes. There's a person in there.
2: There's someone there. Parental neglect is going on at another level in many of uh, the homes across our country every day. So what is the other level of neglect?
4: The average child now spends only minutes a day in relational, direct relational interaction with their parent. And they spend hours in front of a television or with video games. Or video games. Because I was
2: going to ask you, the effect of all the video games, I mean, haven't had enough time to study it yet, but I'm sure that that is having a major impact on this generation of young kids because they don't have, you know, those interactions. Yeah. and,
4: And children are growing up, not understanding how to have conversations. They they don't know how to listen to people. They don't know how to sit quietly and and reflect in a conversational way. So as soon as there's a lull, they seek sensory stimulation. They they turn on their iPhone, they call somebody, they text somebody. And as you said, we don't understand the full implications of this. But what we do know is that the part of the brain that's involved in forming and maintaining healthy relationships, the part of your brain that makes you empathic, is receiving insufficient stimulation to be fully...
2: So what is happening is we are creating a generation of kids, potentially, who don't know how to have empathy for other people because you haven't had conversations or interactions. And so when you end up grow up not being able to have empathy, you turn out to be...
4: (laughs) Self-absorbed?
2: Yeah, yeah. Selfish? Exactly. One of the hopes of doing this show is that it will allow everybody to look differently at their own child, be more attentive to their own child. But also, I think that you, you guys are going to have to give also special attention to William. Don't you think, Dr. Perry?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think William should get lots of credit for yeah. being a big part of the family that's helping her. Be, seeing them interact is actually quite delightful. He's a, he's a sweet kid. And yeah. He, he's...
2: Let's see if we can bring William out here. Where's William? Don't, wouldn't you like to see William? I think that's a great brother. Yeah. He's been a great brother. Guys, find William. While we're bringing William out, I'll just say, Dr. Armstrong, I'm sure looking at uh, and hearing about how far Danielle's progress is much farther already than you imagined when you first treated her.
7: Absolutely. It's just it's so wonderful to see her, especially the pictures of her in the pool and moving around and, you know, showing delight when her parents are holding her. You know, it warms my heart to see that because I didn't know if she'd even go that far. If she'd go that far.
2: Well, we're getting ready to bring her little brother out here. Here comes William. Oh, oh. William! William! Oh, William! Hey. I just want to sit, 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 sit here for a moment. Sit here, right here with me. I just was telling the audience what a great brother I think you are. And I think you deserve a round of applause for being such a great brother. Yeah. You've been a good brother. Okay? All right. You don't even have to say anything. You want to say anything? Okay, bye. (laughs) Just say bye, everybody. Okay. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening.